This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. Today we're going to have Giants pitching coach and former Rookie of the Year and All-Star for the A's, Andrew Bailey. J.P. Arncibia, who is now a broadcaster for the Marlins, was a terrific catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays back in the day. And our buddy David Feldman, the A's historian, Feldy, talking about the 20-game winning streak. But we will start with, and it's great to have him on every year, even though he's in a Giants uniform. He was a terrific A. Here is Andrew Bailey. I mean, that's the one thing about, you know, as we said, you'll always be our all-star. Uh, coming back, well, I mean, that's the one thing. When you come back to Oakland, it's always coming back to family for yeah, you. Yeah, generational Have a seat. Have a seat. Absolutely. All right, but it's good seeing you, man. Yeah, no, I mean, wow, what a legend that guy is. Um, you know, unbelievable 54 career. 54 years. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So, started as a bat boy, correct? Started doing that, and he was doing started doing equipment. I mean, yep. since he was like 16 years old, and it's been, we always joke with him that he never had a resume. Yeah. Well, they didn't have resumes when he started, <laughs> but he never had a resume never. his whole career, 54 years with the A's. Yeah, absolutely. Built built a ton of awesome relationships. Everyone around the league you talk to, um, you know, Vuce is, is number one, so it's it's awesome. How have you been? Yeah, doing good, man. Doing great. Um, enjoying enjoying my job, enjoying the team, enjoying the city. Uh, Bay Area is awesome, and and uh, always love coming back here for sure. And obviously, and obviously, the next two days we're gonna honor Ray Fossey today, yeah. who you know, and then uh, we'll honor the new Hall of Famers tomorrow. Just uh, there's something about it happens in all the two team markets, but especially in this one when it everybody gets together, yeah. it's just something special. A's Giants Bay Bridge series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rivalry with the fans is is awesome, and then you know just. Just the working relationships of, you know, kind of crossing paths has, has been awesome as well. And, and um, you know, Ray Ray was, uh, man, he, he was amazing. So many great stories about him. And, um, you know, obviously Vuce tomorrow as well. So it's a beautiful time to be be here at the uh, Oaken Coliseum. Correct. Did, it, just call it the Oaken okay. Coliseum. All right. There's <laughs> wait, wait. You don't too need many, to, too many things. You don't need to worry about that. You know, the one thing about Ray that I don't think a lot of the fans know is that, you know, here's a guy who's a two-time World Series champion and all-star and everything, but how much he loved you, the players. It didn't yeah. matter what generation, yeah. he loved the players and always had your back. Yeah, 100%. I remember talking to him countless times in his in his office down there by the weight room. And um, one, one of, I, mean, I lost my dad a few years ago. And, and um, you know, with Ray, he, he got to know the families that were always around as well. I mean, he was so giving, um, always wanting to – just chatted up and, and my dad and him built a really cool relationship. My dad would bring him up dibs into the press box all the time during the yeah. games and 
um, you know, it was just, it was, it was awesome. And those are the type of memories that I remember outside of the baseball things is just the relationship building, the, the respect he had for um, current uh, players, former players, their families, you know, what they go through on a daily basis and just the, just the bridges he built, you know, um, amongst the families and, and players, you know. I think about this place for you. You starred here. I mean, you blew people away out on that mound. And I know when you get here and you got to get prepared, you got your staff, you got meetings, you got to deal with the catchers, pitchers, get everybody ready. But do you ever take time to sit back and look out and just kind of remember what, what you did on that mound? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, this place is, is always, always special to me, always will be. Um, it was my first taste of the big leagues and, and um, having having success personally here was was awesome i always enjoy coming back here I'm, even my my guys now give me you know a ton of crap for it and they're like oh the the, the house at balesville um <laughs> uh, you know just catching up with selman uh on the line he's like every fifth day we see you on the leaderboard here with the oakland A's saves leaders and um so it's it's man it's i, I i'm just blessed to, to be a part of this organization this franchise being drafted by them and and such a uh, a homegrown um organization um really really awesome and blessed to have my start here i don't i honestly don't think if i was in another organization i'd i, I would have had the opportunities i would have had that's interesting and and obviously the opportunity of baseball from a player has led to this you know last year when we talked to you you guys were riding high mm-hmm. led to 107 victories far different story this year just how tough has it been this year versus what you saw last year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, I hope hopefully I'll be in baseball for another 30 or 40 years, uh, but I, I don't. There's I don't, a good chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would see another season like that. I, I you know, such a unicorn season. Everything went right. Everything um, in game, players, health, you know, a lot of things went right. And um, we hit we hit all the right buttons. The players, you know, uh, the culture there was great. The cultures there are great now, but. Uh, baseball such a funny, funny uh, game year to year. Uh, a lot of the same current roster injuries, of course. Um, you know, running into some tough one-run games, and uh, but we still believe in ourselves. I mean, we're not we're not totally out of it. We know we got to get going here and get hot. Um, we have a lot of we play all the teams in front of us still, and That's true, um, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously, post All-Star break has been tough. We ran a rough eight games with the Dodgers, and. Um, but we, we got to get right, and, and we, we believe in ourselves. So um, outside playoff is, you know, we're, the, the chances um, to, to get there are still in our, our – we, we still control that. Uh, and, and last season, man, it was like that's why you take those – that's why you take those seasons, like you don't take them for granted. You know, they don't come around too often. Um, I don't think we'll ever be, um, you know, they, the, the Dodgers, so to speak. I mean, they're, they're obviously superstars up and down the lineup. And, um, we, we believe in ourselves as a team and, and how we do things and, um, you know, worked to beautifully last year. And this year we just fell, fell on some misfortune so far, but it doesn't mean it's over yet. Knowing that we're going to have you on today, obviously A's fans love it. They get to see you and you're always going to Oh, be we're on TV too. Yeah, huh? yeah. I yeah. Didn't know that. We've stepped our game up over Wow, here. look at this. So the thing that I really wanted to ask you, because you're going to – I don't know if you're going to know, but being a former bullpen guy, this is like the question that – that is so tough to answer for front office people is because we're dealing with human beings. Yeah. We have these big bullpens, right? Yeah. One year you can have a bullpen that's absolutely lights out. We saw we saw Blake Trinan have a Dennis Eckersley-like year. It was yeah. one of the great. He got MVP votes, yeah. and then the next year it's not the same. The yeah. bullpen's not the same. Why is it so hard year after year to have a consistent bullpen? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, um, 
you know, a lot of guys, what we preach is stick to your strengths, and they always do. And you look at Tyler Rogers with our, with, our, with our team. I mean, two years, he was one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. This year, he's kind of going through a little bit. Uh, doesn't mean that we've lost any confidence in him. It's just that balls are finding holes, you know. I mean, things, things happen like that, and, and you can't control the ball once it leaves your hand, and um, the baseball gods kind of speak differently. And uh, I always joke with, like, um, some of my front office friends, like, if I signed a reliever, I'd always sign him to a two-year deal because you're always going to get one good one and one bad one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> never, you never know which one's going to come first, you know. So uh, if you sign him and he has a bad one first, then, you know, whatever. But, yeah, uh, yeah you just don't know. There's, there's, it's, it's hit or miss. And, I mean, that's why the good ones stay around for so long, the ones that are so consistent um, at being in the bullpen. And it's, it's so tough. I mean, you see the, the volatility of the roster management and construction from a bullpen. It's kind of that carousel effect I know they've they've put limitations on there recently this season but um, yeah it's just it's just so it's so hard to stabilize as a, as a key bullpen piece I mean you have to be so consistent uh, for years and years and years and um, those guys play forever and it's driven me nuts for a long time that a lot of our great closers they didn't get the love for the Hall of Fame Right? They, they may seem like, ah, those are not the hardest outs to get. Ah. Yeah. And now we're looking at these bullpens. You're starting to realize, you know what? What Mariano Rivera did, yeah. what Trevor Hoffman did, oh, yeah. Raleigh Fingers, Dennis oh, yeah. Eckersley, yourself, all these guys. Like, Billy Wagner not being in the Hall of Fame is a joke. Yeah. Should we now start to see and have more appreciation for the guys who were able to get saves and rack up those big save numbers all those years? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I – as a former closer myself, I, I'm not one to believe that, you know, the highest leverage comes in the ninth. It's definitely different. The, those three outs are definitely different uh, over over a long stretch of games. Um, but I, I do believe that there isn't enough appreciation for, for the guys that have done it for such a long time. But, um, yeah, I mean, Billy Wagner, don't please don't group me in those guys. I played half the time they did. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough inning. I mean, there's, there's usually no one behind you. You know, there's no safety net. And that's the, that's the scariest thing about the ninth inning is, is just there's no safety net. And you have to, you have to block that out and, and go get a job done. And um, typically there's no, no matchup. You know, it's not matchup dependent left or right. You just got the ninth, right? And um, I think there's, there's, a, there's multiple ways to do it. And um, when bullpens are, are uh, a little inconsistent, you try and match up a little bit more than, than say, you just throw guys in the eighth or the ninth. I like to ask pick, pitching coaches this because they're starting to be the death of the starting pitcher because mm. the lack of the innings pitched, and mm. we're relying more on bullpens than ever before. Are you worried about the lack of innings we're getting from starters around the entire game? Um, I think overall, no. I, th I think your horses are still getting the job done. Um, you know, I, the 200 inning mark is, is a lot. I don't know how many you're going to see of those. But, uh, I mean, starting pitching is, is what, what wins, right? Anytime we have any one of our guys go six, seven, eight innings sometimes, um, you know, those games are just like, oh, man, that was a piece of cake. You know, as a manager or as a pitching coach, you don't have decisions to make, you know. Um, but I, I understand the, the, the numbers behind things and the third time through and, um, you know, the health risks and your investments there. So, um, you know, that's a tough question. But you're always going to have the guys that are just different. You know, I don't, I don't think I don't, if you have a front end of a one, two, three, like those guys are always going to, you're always going to want them to go. I think your fours and fives, you know, it's a little different. You know, it's the guys that you might have to protect a little bit third time through or match up, you know, a little bit strongly, you know, in the fifth or sixth inning. Um, 
So I, I, those guys are just different. The front-end horses are just different than, than the rest of the rotation. And it just that's a matter of fact. You know, those guys are just different. Let's end on this. Are you thrilled now about the National League West? Now you got Juan Soto. Fernando Tatis Jr. is coming back. You got Machado. You got Mookie Betts. You got Freddie Freeman. Yeah, absolutely. You got a lot of talent Let's in this go. division you got to yeah, worry about. No doubt. I mean, we beat everyone last year. Uh, we beat the Dodgers last year. We won the division. No way. No, you know, obviously this year it's going to be winning divisions can be really tough at the position we're in. But all you have to do is get into the dance, man. And, and we proved we proved to them that we could beat them last year for their own brand of baseball. Uh, we worry about us and, and the way we do things. And, um, you yeah, know, that's all we can control. So um, I don't think we need the quote unquote superstar talent that gets, you know, uh, marketed by MLB or social media or whatever than uh, whatever. Uh, you know, this year, all we need to do is get in a dance and, and we can win this thing. Next year, same thing. So uh, I'm not too worried. I think we can prove that we can handle ourselves last year. We always appreciate your time, folks. Awesome. That's an A's all-star right there coming back to <laughs> Thanks, town. Guys. And our next guest, he's a keeper. We're going to have to have him on. I don't care when we play the Marlins again. Well, we'll play him next year as we'll play everybody now. But this guy was a fantastic guest. He was awesome. JP Arncebia. Well, JP, I got to tell you, uh, last time I think I talked to you, you were a Toronto Blue Jay. It's a long time ago. Back in the day. Yeah, it's quite some time ago. How's everything going? Well, it's it's good. I don't have to stand in the box and face guys throwing 194 mile an hour changeups and sliders and, and walk back and get back to my hotel and look at the roof and think, will I ever get the hit again? So. It's a lot easier from the booth, that's for sure. And you don't have to take it off the chest and your knees oh, yeah. and your hands and your elbows. Well, my knees are my knees are starting to bark now. It's kind of it kind of stinks after all the years. Of, yeah, people don't think about. It. That's why we say all the time we got these like young. The A's have a bazillion catchers in yeah. our system, and we're you're always like, you may want to get a different glove because you <laughs> might last longer. Well, he's funny. I I was telling somebody the story. How many times in my career the old guys are stretching older. And they're young, and they're like, ah, you're not stretching. One day, you know what I'm talking about. And they're like, you know, it must be nice to be young. And then now, I'm like, I'm wearing hokas. I got huge soles so that my feet don't hurt and my knees are banged up. Like, I'll run, and then I'll, I'll be in the booth and stand up to go to the bathroom, like, in between the game. And I'm like, goodness gracious, <laughs> my knees are killing me. It's just, I'm like, I'm 36, but. Come on, take it easy. I, give me a little bit longer before they start to bark, but they are. That's part oh, of it. Oh, let me tell you, you go out and play golf, and the next day you get out of bed, and you're like, oh, my God, my back. Well, oh, you it's you know what's funny about that? I just played 18 in L.A., and we had to walk because we were playing with some USC golfers. And you had to carry the bag? I had to carry my oh. bag. So here's, here's my feet were hurting so bad, <laughs> and my knees were hurting so bad that we get to the 11th hole, and I said, listen, I love golf. Not enough to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So call a cart. Yeah. And I got a cart. I was like, I'm not doing this. And literally, my feet were. I was. I was. I love golf, and I was walking around, and I was like, this stinks. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm good. So I. But that that just happened. So the broadcasting basically in your hometown. How's that been going? It's been great. You know, it's crazy because I didn't play for the Marlins, but yeah. I grew up watching them. Uh, and I and I love as a catcher. You know, you can you can speak in so many different. Uh, you know, spaces of the game, the bullpen, hitting, defense, pitching, you know, managing of, of trying to think with the manager. And so it's – I love teaching the game. I, I love really explaining to people, you know, why did he just throw this setup pitch to get to the next pitch? Why – you know, what was the pitch sequence? 
what did he do his last at bat that now they change sequences so you know that's the stuff that i really enjoy and i love you know teaching people that are watching the game when i'm on the broadcast for tv and then when i'm on radio it's a lot of fun too you you don't have the opportunity to teach as much but it's fun to talk baseball for four hours when you were a kid you watched our manager mark Conce. that's correct that- all these guys it's it's crazy Actually, I watched Mark Hatze, and I was a huge fan. And then Ricky Henderson was here. And crazy enough, I was an A's fan growing up as a kid because Miami, Jose Canseco. Oh, yeah. So that was my connection. So here's this kid, Cuban, Cuban, from the same area. He went to a high school not far from my house. And then all of a sudden, he is in the big leagues doing his thing. And so I was an A's fan as a kid, which is crazy. And I had a poster up of Ricky Henderson in my room. And Obviously, I was a slow catcher, nothing comparable in in our positions, but that was a guy I used to love watching. Isn't it a trip when you get into this part of the business and you actually meet some of these guys who you did have a poster of? Like, to this day, I'm scared to death to interview George Brett because he was my favorite player, and I just – you just never know when you go up to your favorite player well, how the guy's going to be. You well, just no. never know. So you, I've always, you don't want to meet your heroes. At so time, I've just I, I've, I've and I, they've offered him, and I went, nope, I just don't want to do it because I don't want to ruin well, it. Well, I promise you, I can tell you this. I went to lunch with him, and you would love him. He is awesome. I went to lunch with him in Kansas City because Buck Martinez and him yeah. were boys, and we got to go to lunch, and he was a a, a plus dude. But I do know I you meet people that you've had you know, an affinity for you thought that, you know, this is a person that was like way up here and then you meet them and they're a dud and you're like, well, well now I can't look at them the same. Like right now, I mean, Ricky Anderson is right over here to our left. If you went up to any big league, you'd be like, oh, man. yeah, that's it. I'd be like, I'd, I'd go back in time and take my poster off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Beat it. I, like, oh, that's it. You're off. I, you have to be a good person. I don't care how good you are. You know this, like yeah. you're around enough guys. You're a great player and amazing, but if you're a good person, then that's when you're like, wow, I love that person. Like, I'm really a huge fan. If they're not, I'm like, you're out. And one of those guys that everybody had his poster because he had the gangster poster back in the day was Don Mattingly. You guys are around him. I I mean, I don't even know if these guys really know players from the Marlins how good Don Mattingly was because he was like the elite player of his time. Uh, But what's it like Don Mattingly and seeing these young players and how they interact? Uh, he's great, and honestly, you know this. I feel like guys that are Hall of Fame caliber, which he was, um, they tick different, right? They see the game differently. It's just the way it is. And so it's tough for a lot of – like they always say, the best players are not the best coaches because they don't see it as most yeah. people do. But he's very relatable. And that's the one thing that has always stood out to me is that he speaks the same language as everybody. You know, sometimes I've even heard stories of Ricky Henderson of guys when he was the, the running hitting or uh, the base running coordinator – of them saying, like, hey, watch this pitcher. Ready, ready, go. And the, and the guy's like, I, I don't see what you see. Right? He's special. But when you can have a guy that's that special and be able to, you know, really talk on the same level and, and, and he, he is such a, like, humble guy, you would never know it, but pretty special to be around him. You know, when I look at the Marlins offense, it kind of equates to what's going on this month in baseball, right? So the Marlins have scored the least amount of runs since the All-Star break. We know about the streak, four runs or less, last 23. But in the baseball notes, it came out today that this month, it's the second lowest slugging percentage since April. Runs per game, runs per nine since April. And home runs per at-bat, the highest since April. Well, April, we can always say, 
Well, it's cold everywhere. That makes sense. Not August. So why? So what the hell's going on? Why? Why are we not seeing offense? Well, you know, I, I think that there's a, there's a few things to that. One, pitching has gotten incredible. I mean, we you got to see yesterday, Edward Cabrera. He's throwing. He's averaging 92.9 miles an hour on his changeup, which is how does which happen? is insane, yeah. right? You start to think about. We run out five guys. Sandy's throwing 100. Cabrera can 99. Pablo Lopez up to 97. Lazardo up to 99. And then, oh, you got a guy that he doesn't throw as hard at the time. You're like, he throws 92, 93, which Braxton Garrett, he's been banged up. But you start to think about that. You're like, this is slow, 92, 93. So I think that pitching has gotten so good. And one thing I think, and I, I will say this, is for me, when I got to the big leagues, it was, it was about pound down, right? Fastball down, breaking ball, but everything was down. And what analytics has really taught and spin rate, I can move the baseball up in the zone. It's harder to hit up in the zone. And then now when I throw my breaking ball, it comes out of that same tunnel. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of things. Pitching has, has really taken a, a jump up, and they're way better than hitting. Uh, I think part of it is approach thing as well. There's still – there's you know, you don't see men on second base, a guy trying to, like, move the guy over anymore or little things like that. And, you know, you'll talk to guys. I, I, how many times have you seen uh, during a game – the, the MLB research tool that it's like 950 hit probability and it's just getting to the track. And so guys are saying, like, if I hit that ball 105 at this degree, why is it not a home run? So they'll tell you, you know, the ball is a little bit different. So I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I love it, though. Bring it. But that's, you know, that's – that's The humidor effect? I mean, that's what I, that's what I see. I mean, that's what I see, again, and, and I will say this. Pitching is just ridiculous. I mean, it really – the guy yesterday that you guys threw, Aller, like, he's got a six and a half. He's throwing 93, 94 with good stuff. I mean, and that's considered like, oh, he's got a six and a half. It's a crazy game right now. The guys have gotten so good. Well, what, what what's so interesting is when launch, came, launch angle became the rage, and as you said, no one's looking to choke up with two strikes. No one's looking to hit a guy over. It's grip it and rip it time. To combat that, it's tough to have launch angle if the ball's up. And when you start looking over and you're looking at Verlander, well, that, that's been working for this guy. Yeah. Everything's when you start throwing 97, 98, 98, you can't you can't launch that. No. It's like the pitcher's weapon. It's like now what do the hitters do to adjust back? Well, it's tough. I mean, you try to stay on top of that baseball, but it's still not easy, right? It's it's not that easy to say just get on top of the baseball. Spin rate when I played with the Rays is when I really kind of understood what spin rate meant you know the ball doesn't drop as much as it would for the average spin rate guy so if I'm swinging where I think because our eyes can only adjust to what you think it's going to be right so you see a fastball nine out of ten times and it's in a certain spot but that one time that guy has that high spin rate it doesn't come down I'm swinging to where I think that ball's going to be and you know that's where again I think that analytics and all that stuff I mean you look at the catchers when I was a catcher I'd go over a game plan did you set this up, by the way? Huh? Did you set up the tractor coming by, John Deere? While we're talking, we got a big thing going on. Here. Hey, Come you, on, guys! You get every you get everything oh here on Ace Gas Live. This right. is the only show in baseball that's right on the field. Well, it is true. You I get everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get the tractor, John Deere. I don't know what well, he we has got. In more the back. tractors coming. Are you kidding me? Oh, this my. is live. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is a race. You guys have a race <laughs> going on here. Uh, no, but you know, it's just crazy. You see, you know, I, again, I had a sky report, and I would. Okay, hey, here's the A's. This is how we're going to approach them now. Guys have literally pictures of every batter, and it's like 
the zone, and here's where his fastball that he can't hit. And then here's where his breaking ball that he can't hit. I mean, and guys are good enough to execute, and he makes it tough. Do you think that pitchers may pitch too much to what they're saying about the batters versus not pitching to exactly what's best for you? Well, there's a, there's a combination, right? I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and I always I love boxing. And I always refer it to if I was boxing somebody, I'm going to throw my best punch because if I get knocked out because I was trying to use my third best punch and that was his hole, then I did myself a disservice. So it's a combination, right? I think analytics are phenomenal. But I think there's still the intangibles of, did he just move up in the plate? Did that hitter just move back off the plate, right? Was he late on the fastball today? Maybe he's a good fastball hitter, and it says, hey, spin him to death. But if he's late, you kind of make it, uh, you know, you kind of help him out by throwing him a breaking ball. So there's the intangibles of the information, and then there's the intangibles of the eyes and trusting your instincts that, wait a second, this guy just backed off the plate. He's trying to give himself more space. And I know that it says to come in on him, but now that fastball way is open, right? So I think those are the little things that guys have to really learn. And, you know, it, it takes time. I think they take their lumps here in the big leagues because this is where you really learn. So we have a young hotshot catcher that just got called up. He was part of the Matt Olson trade, Shea Langoliers mm-hmm. from from Atlanta. And right now we already have Sean Murphy established Stunt. 27 in his prime, Stunt. Gold Glover. What – advice would you give Shea Langoliers who's not going to catch a lot, he's going to DH, he's going to be here for the rest of the year, he definitely is a big part of the future, but he's not going to catch a lot. What advice would you give to him? I'd be a shadow. I mean, you, you're, Sean Murphy's arguably the best, one of the best offensive catchers, and obviously he won a gold glove. So if he ate a certain way in pregame, I'd try to eat that way too. If I watched him work out, if I'd watch him take you know, batting practice, I'd watch how he prepared. I'd, I'd shadow everything that he did because that's, you know, you you have to learn that way. I, I truly believe in the minor leagues, most guys are talented enough to kind of blow through stuff. Well, here's where you get kind of exposed. And so if you can have those guys that you can learn from, I had Jose Molina was my backup my first year in the big leagues when I was starting. And so I got to watch him. When I got called up in September, John Buck was our guy, so I got to watch him. And so as a young guy, you really dial into – these guys and ask as many questions as you can because you have a manager who raked right great hitter you have Sean Murphy who's who's I think one of the best catchers in baseball right now and he's a very you know good player himself and he doesn't have to be Sean Murphy because he's not Sean Murphy he is himself he's Shea and and that's what he needs to understand but you still learn you take from him what you can what you can get and that's that'd be my biggest thing and don't be scared to fail because I, I just had this conversation with Nick Fortes everybody comes up and they think they have to like right away if I don't do good I'm not pull up Mike Trout's September numbers pull up Aaron Judge's September numbers of their first year in the big leagues Aaron Judge struck out 50% of his at-bats and I know this off the top of my head because I had the conversation he had 84 at-bats he struck out 42 times Oof. and he hit a, I think he hit <laughs> I think he hit like a buck 90 or something like that and Trout hit like 220 yeah, it was, yeah we saw it and so it's like uh, these are two of the best in the game, in history possibly, but right now. And so don't be short-sighted. It's really tough. We're always wanting to, if I make an adjustment in the cage, if I don't go two for four that day, I'm like, well, it didn't work. That's being short-sighted. You have to be able to really understand the process, that it takes time, and then that's how you learn is by, you know, taking your lumps. Well, that's the thing. It's really it's, – it's easy for someone – 
like me to say this going, hey, you have to learn to deal with failure. But learning to deal with failure in a game of failure is hard, especially you guys grow up being so successful. Well, and it's tough, too, because now you're kind of getting shot at by every, you know, possible avenue. You have the paper media, right, that's asking you why you stink. You have TV that's showing you stink. You have Instagram that'll let you know that you stink. You have Twitter that'll let you know that you stink. So you have, and then you have fans. Yeah, Yeah, you have all these people that are blowing you up. And so then all of a sudden, and this is true because it happened to me, you end up going up to hit, and you're trying to hit against 500,000 people as opposed to face the guy that's on the mound because I want to shut this person up, and I want to show this person, and you said this about me and all this stuff. And so it's tough. I mean, I always laugh because I'm like these old school coaches are like, I don't know why, guys. I'm like, listen, when you played, a lot of you guys had phone cards, and you'd call your wife on the road and be like, hey, uh, we made it safe. See you later. And, like, now that's not the case. There's all this different stuff coming at you that you didn't have to deal with and some people can handle it and some people can't and uh, again I think that's another thing is is you have to understand like it's okay to stink first off none of those people matter right it's the guys here that matter the people that truly care about you none of those people that are telling you anything but it's okay to embarrass yourself and and I always use this analogy is we watch highlights on a daily basis we watch the homer we watch the double well, we watched the homer, but we didn't see two pitches before. He swung and missed at a curveball that hit in front of home plate. And so you, you put it in, you, you put this in your mind like, oh, you know, these, all these guys do is highlights. No, if you watch them play on a – Mike Trout swings and misses. You know, the best of the best. They, they make the fool of themselves at the plate, but those guys are able to not have it affect the next swing or the next pitch or the next at-bat or whatever it may be. That's the biggest difference of the guys that are great and people like me that had to – get out of the game after my you know sixth season well and you make a very good point about a lot of the coaches and even though we have some younger coaches but still social media wasn't how it is for these kids now it's it's just a part of them so you know they have it's a part of their brand it's a part of their identity since high school since even junior high whether you know they may not do Facebook because, according to my kids, that's for old people. Well, yeah. But, yeah, well, they have a Twitter account, Instagram account, and now fans can reach out to you. Forget just yelling at you from the stands. Yeah. They can actually reach you on your accounts. I I, I can't imagine, but I, I, I'm i sure they have to say, get off those accounts, man. Uh, Don't read it. 100%. And here's the thing, and I learned this because I used to – I was one that was very active, and it's – it's you put yourself out there. What I learned is I was a very – I mean, I'm sure that – it's it's safe it's easy to see that I love talking and I was around yeah. people and I was I, I was always doing the community service and stuff like that. But you put yourself out there a lot in social media or whatever you you're gonna put yourself out there but you're gonna also welcome in the criticism, right? Because the more you put yourself out there, the bigger target you make yourself. And you know, that was a big thing for me, so much so that I I got so tired of Twitter that I was like, Hey, I'm getting off Twitter. Well the next day I had a message from my agent like, Hey, you can't get off Twitter. And it was because one of the deals that I had was connected to my social media. So I had to do a certain amount of posts. So literally in Toronto, which was the silliest thing on the – I'm looking at the ticker, and it's like J.P. Aaron Sebia getting off Twitter. And I'm like, this is a story. (laughs) But then I had to get back on and say that my agents were going to control my account because it was like, hey, you can't do this because contractually you have to post a certain amount of posts and all these different things. And so it's – like you said, it's part of the brand. It's part of everything. But, man, the least 
kind of negative stuff because a lot of people say like it doesn't bother me i've said oh yeah it doesn't we're human right at the end of the day when people tell you you stink enough and they hope you die or all these different things you're like that kind of stings a little bit broadcasting's been huge for you but have you thought about getting back in the dugout and maybe managing someday <laughs> you know it's it's funny a lot of people have told me that even when I got done playing, they said that you would be, I'd be a great manager. And I think the only reason why that I, I know that I'd be a good manager is because I was a guy who was a, a great player and had a bobblehead, and I was a guy that was sent down, and I was a guy that was good and then stunk and had to fight my way back. And then really ultimately what ended my career was I dealt with anxiety and different things, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm good. So I think now there's such a game plan for the game in the sense of front office and all that stuff, managers' biggest roles should be to communicate. And that's all people ever want is to know where they stand and be honest. And that's something that I think, unfortunately, sometimes as subtle as it may be, people don't give it the the emphasis that it needs because it's like anything. Any young player, I walked by my manager and he didn't say hi to me. You walked by, like, why didn't he say hi to me? Like, did I am I, am I doing something wrong? Or I'm not in a lineup a certain day and it's like, and as dumb as it seems, and it's like, oh, you're a professional. It's like, we're still human beings. And I I love analogies. I'm a big, like, I always tell people, business people, when I talk to them, like, imagine you came to work on Monday and your desk was in one spot. And then on Tuesday you came and I moved your desk and I didn't tell you. Well, now on Wednesday you're going to come and you're going to be uncomfortable and like, hey, what's the deal? But if I know, hey, this is where my desk is Monday and here's my desk Tuesday or here's where it is every day, I come to work not worried about all this other stuff. I just come to work knowing what is expected of me and, and what I can expect to, to have an environment. And so that's where I think, you know, it's a big thing to communicate. Well, how about this? How about your desk is in Oakland and then the next day you show up, it's in Vegas in AAA? <laughs> not good. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. People don't get that. Like, and, then, and then all of a sudden your desk, right? Well, now we just traded you to Minnesota. Now yep. you show up on Monday, but on Tuesday your desk your desk in Minnesota, and you're and you're reeling, and it's like, and again, I think a lot of it comes down to the conversations, right? Like a, a lot of times you don't know what they're doing, you don't know if they're going to send you down, they're going to keep you here, and you come to the field every day. Like if you're struggling, am I going to get sent down today? Is today the day I get sent down? And you know, I've had this where a hitting coach is walking towards me, and my heart rate gets high because I think. Here it is. I'm going to the, the manager's office. I'm done. And they, hey, let's go look at video. And I was like, oh, oh, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it just, that's the way that's it is. Tough. And it's not easy. And, and again, that's where I think communication and different things, you're going to have hard conversations. But at the end of the day, I, I, I respect Heim Bloom a lot. I was with Tampa at the end of my career, played in the big leagues. The next year I got, was in AAA with them. And they called up Bobby Wilson. And I called him and I was like, Bobby Wilson? No offense to Bobby Wilson, but I was like, dude, Bobby Wilson wouldn't have even scratched me as a player when I was doing my thing. I was leading the team in home runs in RB in, in AAA, all this stuff. And he's like, listen, man, the truth is, is we don't think that you're good enough to play defensively and we'd rather have him play there because we prioritize our defense. And I was like, I hate you, but I respect <laughs> you. I respect you, though, because was honest. you were honest with me. Yeah. And as long as I knew where I stood, that was it. So that's where I think the hard conversations, they're inevitable. They can be had. You just want to know where you stand. And I think, you know, that's, that's why I say communication is so important because it's, it's a tough game. And as much as they're grown-ups, your manager is still your superior. So if you swing at a 3-0 and pitch and you, you take a bad swing and you pop up and you get out, you know you're upset. But if you come by the manager and he's like, hey, 
Don't worry about it. I like that you're aggressive, whatever it may be that you want to say. Next time that 3-0 pitch, he might let it fly and hit a home run, whereas opposed to if he gets that opportunity, he's got the green light, he's like, oh, I don't want to mess up because I don't want to, I don't want to upset somebody. And that's not what it, it's already hard enough. You should be able to just focus on what you need to do. I got to tell you, I could talk to you all day. And I, I really appreciate the time you've given us. I, I wish we played the Marlins more, but you're the type of guy that just talking about the entire game, like keep your phone on and, and rip rip Cody, but keep yeah. your phone on because uh, come playoff time, we're reaching out. I'd love to hear your analysis of what's going on in the postseason. Well, listen, my number won't change. I'll Maybe for Cody I'll put like a restricted yeah. if it comes up because I try to throw a joke out there. No response. Not Seriously, even. Cody, no response? He, it's a joke. I, I knew it was, but it was my fault for not responding. And I, like I told him before, JP, before he came on, I said I appreciate the personality because you don't get a lot of that when you reach out to guests. It's either ho-hum, yes, or no. Well, or no response. Why, that's why I like that you do radio because not all of your personality. You can be great on TV, but you can't do all of no. this on TV. Yeah, you can't have fun. You can't have this. You can have fun, but you just can't have the conversations and tell the stories and laugh. And I like to have fun. And what we hear, you guys are actually getting good ratings down there. Well, I, you know what? I like to say that some of the older ladies, fifty and up, I try to clean up well. You know, so. South Beach. Hey, South Beach, you're making South Beach hey. to tune in at night? Listen, got the flower shirt going. You put a tie on this bad boy and a sports coat, you better watch out. I mean, I'm, I'm getting married in October, you know, my fiance, great woman, Tommy. But <laughs> ratings. So you, you go down to the Clevelander and all the TVs are on you. Oh. Then, huh? What you're saying? Watch out. I've done South Beach. <laughs> I, know how, I know how it rolls down there. <laughs> hey, great stuff. We really appreciate This is the end of the show? We tell we're, this is the end of the show. This is it. All you're, right. like, you're taking us out like a walk-off. Well, let's let's do it. However you have to go. Where's your where's your uh, your sponsorships and what we you got to We had Joey say? Wendell, former A. You he had Joey. At, oh yeah, Joey was. Hey, he started a, with the. What a. a gamer. No, no, no. I know he. I know. I'm saying that you had Joey on the on the. Yeah, he came over. Oh, yeah, he's great. Every we've had him. Every single time he's here, whether it's been for years with, with the Rays and now with the Mar, we always have, all former A's, A's always come on because there is something about it. And as guy who grew up an A's fan, there's something about it that if you play here, this place is special to yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I tried to tell that to the other guys that played here yesterday, and not many fans. And I was like, listen, I know that this is what it is, but when this place is rocking. It's kind of scary to play at, like as a as a visiting team, and also when you have to walk with the fans down into the dugout, like, and they're right there. Yeah, they're on top of you. Like, yeah. hey, you okay? Like, take it easy. If these guy, if these guys, if if these guys think ah, they should have come to a Raider game. Oh yeah, that true. was no joke. Yeah, other teams were not happy. They when they came here, it was no joke. Uh, Shane Langoliers, great advice by you for Shay, and then of course you were here. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad that I was able to make it. was a long way from the uh, visitors' dugout. Obviously, you guys have a ton of foul territory here. So I had to, you know, my knees. I put a lot of effort to get over Next here. Next time, we'll get you a golf cart. Well, or a John Deere tractor. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And there's only a couple people who are actually at every single game of the 20-game winning streak. 
Of course, David Feldman's our A's historian because he works in television. He was there for every single game, home and road. Here he is talking about the 20-game winning streak. Normally, we do our top 10s with you, Feldy, but today we're talking about the 0-2 team and specifically the 20-game winning streak. You are one of only two non-A's employee personnel, however you like to talk about it. A guy who wasn't getting paid by the A's <laughs> is the most simple way, who was here for all 20 games, just yeah. you and the great Ray Fossey. Yeah, all 20 games. I was working with uh, A's television at the time, uh, KICU on the broadcast side. It was Fox Sports Bay Area on the cable side. And uh, I was all, well, I was at every game that season. I was at every game for five straight seasons, but every game of the streak. And uh, so I saw it all. And it was uh, – you know, it's 20 years ago, and it's still as fresh as, uh, as yesterday. You know, we were talking to Billy Bean earlier today, and like I said, you're going to see it at 4.30 about it. And, you know, for the streak, we remember it as A's fans. I was at KNBR at the time working on the morning show, and we remember how great it was, but Billy kind of puts you back into reality going, listen, the Angels were winning every night too, so – you know, as a, as a general manager at the time and back when Billy was a, you know, a younger GM doing everything he can to win every single game and he's gripping everything, you couldn't really sit back and enjoy it because you weren't gaining the ground you normally would in a streak like that. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about that year, right? You look at the 2002 year, and we've seen the movie about it, um, and they got off to a tough start. I mean, they, again, no Jason Giambi, no Johnny Damon, no Jason Isringhausen. So they brought new players in. And it takes a while to jut, to gel. And this team didn't really gel the first two months. And they, got, they had a terrible road trip. They went 1-6, and six, got swept in Toronto, long flight home. Uh, flight home, there was stuff that went on on the plane. We get back to the ballpark on Monday, and it was like dark Monday. right? Frank Minichino set out. Yeah. Jeff Tam set out. Carlos Pena, the guy you traded to be your first baseman. Now, like in the movie, Hatterberg wasn't going to be the first baseman right away what? there. What? I know, I know. It's easy to play first <laughs> base. I saw the movie. <laughs> saw, no. So Carlos Pena was your first base. He's sent out. right? And the next day, they trade Jeremy Giambi. And it was just cleaning house. But it worked, right? This, this team, they were 10 games out at one point, and then they get to play the National League Central. They played the Giants and also the National League Central. They went 16-1. and one. Yeah. They have a 16-1 and one stretch that gets them four games out of first place. That's how far back they were to get 16-1. and one. And even when they start the 20-game win streak, they're still four and a half games back in third place when the streak started. So there was nothing like this streak – Hattie Burke gets the home run. They win the division. Everybody's happy. You know what? They win the 20th game. They go to Minnesota. They lose the Friday night game. But then they win Saturday, Sunday, and Monday in Anaheim. So it's 23-1 they go. But again, they lose the next three games in Anaheim, and they're a game out. With, nine games to, with 11 games to go, they're tied for the division lead. Right? So this was no cakewalk. And for the A's, yeah, they were going to make the playoff. They were going to be the one wild card team. But if they had been the wild card team, they would have played the Yankees again. And we knew what happened in 2000, 2001. The A's wanted no part of the Yankees. They needed to win the division to make sure they avoided the Yankees. Now, in hindsight, maybe it would have been different. But at the time, <laughs> you didn't want to 
play the Yankees. So you wanted to win the division. They go nine and two down the stretch to win the division. But it, yeah, every game was a grind because the Angels refused to lose. Yeah, the very just the very start wasn't that bad. They were a little over five hundred. Then they went in the tank, yeah. and then as you said, sixteen and one. Sixteen. That run. There was always something about interleague play with that era of A's teams. There was always, and you could say, when you're constantly switching up players every year, it takes time to gel, figure out how to play together and everything. But there was something about as soon as they saw the National League, it didn't matter if it was the West, Central, or East, things would change with interleague play. They really did. And they went 3-0 and against Houston, 3-0 and against Milwaukee, took two out of three from the Giants. Then they go on the road, and they take three straight in Cincinnati. I don't think I've ever told you this story. The A's are in Cincinnati, and I actually got a game ball for an A's victory. You got the in Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. By the way, was that that still Riverfront? It was still Riverfront. It was the last year of Riverfront. So we could see the new ballpark being built just over left field, left center field. There it is. But so Art Howe was making the A's lineup up, and he had John Mabry on the bench because he had – if he had played Mabry, he would have had four straight left-handers in the lineup, and he knew the Reds only had one left-handed reliever, but he wanted to break it up. Somehow, I don't know how, I heard that Gabe White, the Reds' left-handed reliever, was unavailable that day. And I told Art. I said, Art. This is inside info. You could get investigated <laughs> for this kind of stuff. I don't. I still remember how I heard. I said, Art, I, they don't have their left-hander today. And he looks at me and he goes, really? He goes, maybe I'll change the lineup. So he puts Mabry in. What does Mabry do? Hits a game-winning homer in the seventh inning. After the game, he says, I think we'll give the game ball to Mr. Feldman. You still have that? Uh, he never actually gave me a ball. But I have the newspaper <laughs> article, so that's, that's sort of close. I always thought I should have gotten a playoff share. I, you, you know what? You know what I'm thinking? I'm going to go get a ball. Art's going to be here <laughs> for right. the celebration. Hey, Art, you owe me. Yeah. You may not remember or care. You owe me a sign ball for the, the game ball for that game. <laughs> game ball in Cincinnati. So they end up, they sweep that series. They go to Pittsburgh, they sweep that series. And they're, they're just rolling. They really picked up steam. The other thing that happened on that road trip, and this is something I'll never forget as well, was when we were in Pittsburgh. Uh, again, New players. Takes time to gel. And David Justice was one of those new players. And Justice comes in. He's, he's kind of a celebrity, right? Married to Halle Berry. Yeah, the Atlanta, the championship, playing in New York. Now, there is a scene where, nah, man, Yankees <laughs> are paying half your salary to play against you. <laughs> it's true. But, <laughs> but I remember we're in the lobby in Pittsburgh, and they have the night off, so they're going to go to dinner. And David Justice and Jermaine Dye made sure every player on the team was invited to dinner. Not one player left out. They said, we're going and we're all going. And, you know, this was in June. And that's kind of how long it took for this team to really find themselves and get to know each other, these new players, new personalities. And, but that night solidified it for me. It was like, wow, that's what leaders do, for one. They make sure everybody yeah. is included and it pays off. Well, there is no doubt. I mean, Dave Justice was a star. Yeah. I mean, for his time, you know, he's he's one of the most recognizable faces. Too many times we think of stats with stars. Stars are bigger than stats. That's why they're stars. Right. They're star players stat-wise. But as you mentioned, when you're 
married to one of, at that time, most popular actresses. You've been in all these playoff games. I mean, ever since he would he come at 19? Yeah, with the Braves. He was very young. 18 or 19. He was super young when he came up because he signed early. And his entire career was in the postseason. Yeah. So there's something, too, when Dave Justice came to the A's. It was, and it was this celebrity. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't going to have the offensive output that Jason Giambi was going to have, but he has some cachet. He's still yeah. David Justice. And the other thing that gets kind of lost in this whole year is the A's made a big acquisition at the end of July, and that was Ray Durham. And you think, why did the A's even get Ray Durham? Mark Ellis was a rookie, but he was playing second base and doing a great job. But, again, it just solidified a leadoff hitter. Ray Durham was the A's leadoff hitter and DH. Didn't really play second. It was all Mark Ellis. But now all of a sudden you had Ray Durham leading off, Scott Hattieberg batting second, playing first base again, and the lineup is just now set. Right? It's just Tejada and Chavez and Justice and Terrence Long, uh, Ramon. It's just now you have a set lineup going down the stretch. And it, it, getting Ray Durham, it, just, it was like the final piece. They needed that player. And you look at his numbers again. They won't blow you away for what he did with the A's. He hit 270, hit a couple home runs. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to look up at a scoreboard tonight. I'm assuming – I haven't seen the lineups, but I'm assuming Aaron Judge is going to be in the lineup tonight, right? Aaron Judge at one point last night was hitting 298. Um, You're telling me a leadoff guy – now, Ben Attendee's hitting over 300, but – you're going to see where I'm going here, folks. We're going to look at a scoreboard tonight and see everybody's basically under 240. Yeah. You're going to tell me the A's had a leadoff hitter hitting 270. That's a, that, that, that was real? It was real, and it was kind of disappointing that Ray Durham was a 300 hitter, and he was hitting 270. Uh, Can you imagine now we'd be talking about him battling for the, for the batting title? Exactly. But he, you know, he did what they needed him to do, steal bases, yeah. play big games. You know, he hit a couple homers in the postseason, had the inside-the-park homer And the White Minnesota. Sox, the White Sox, remember when they got him from the White Sox, why, that was – White Sox had a good, good good time during – they were good. They had some good teams. It was a good team. You know, the Giants end up signing Ray Durham. He yeah. played there for a long time, had some big years. But, again, Billy, and I've always felt this, when the A's are in that situation where they have a chance to win, he's so good at picking those pieces that are going to really help you. Right, he knows what's going to help this team. Him and David Force both. We saw it last year with getting Starley Marte and, and uh, Gomes and uh, Chafin and, and Harrison. These were the players the A's needed. Now it didn't work out for 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 other reasons, not because those guys failed. They were the perfect additions to this team. And Ray Durham in 2002, along with Ricardo Rincon, right? The A's knew they needed a left-handed reliever. Mike McNanny wasn't getting it done anymore. They needed to bolster it. And they said, you know what, Ricardo Rincon? Well, he's across the hall. Let's get him. And, and that scene in the movie of all the scenes was pretty much the closest to what really happened. We're kind of playing phone tag and getting people involved and, and working the magics on the phone. That was pretty close to reality of what that night was like. Yeah, and he was literally right down the hall. Right down the hall. Magnate, by the way. Wasn't he almost at the 10-year, the golden? Oh, that was a, that's that was a rough tough. conversation. It was rough. And, and, and you know, Magnante, he put his heart and soul into it out there. You saw the knee braces in the movie. Again, reality. He yeah. pitched with knee braces. Um, and he gave it his all. He just had, didn't have anything left. You know, having read the book Moneyball and watched the movie Moneyball, obviously, you know, they didn't have any pitching. <laughs> and that's how that team won with was I don't even think did they have pitchers because I don't they don't even mention pitching in the book so I don't even were they allowed to have pitchers 
in 2002. Well, no, Chad Bradford got a whole chapter. Oh, that's right. That's right, yes, because he's coming from he's down under. from down here. No, I, you know, it's funny. The first time I saw the movie Moneyball, it was so hard for me not to watch it like a documentary. I lived this. I was with these guys every day. And I'm like, well, that's in heaven. This is terrible. And then I went and saw it a second time, and I watched it as a movie. It's entertainment. And you go, yeah. this is a really good movie. Yeah. This is really entertaining. It was up for an Oscar, by the way, folks, <laughs> the movie. And it's a best-selling book even to this day. You know, and it's just, and you go, well, they didn't mention Hudson Mulder Zito. You go, well, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about Tahad or Chavez. So you, so you got to kind of say that to yourself. It's not about those guys. This is what it's about. It's about doing more with less and finding, you know, those, those hidden gems and whatnot. But, yeah, they had some pitching. Right, they had Mulder, Hudson, and Zito, and Corey Lytle. And during the streak, Corey Lytle was the best of them all. Thirty-two straight scoreless innings. And we're talking tonight, Game th- Thirteen is the anniversary. He gave up a run in Game Thirteen. It was unearned because David Justice sort of lost a ball in the lights. It could have been ruled in today's game. It probably been ruled a hit, but it called it an error. Run still scored, unearned run. But Corey Lytle, unbelievable run. So now you have Mulder, Hudson, Zito, and Corey Lytle. Who's dealing? Aaron Harang was the fifth starter, and he was okay. He kept you in games. But those top four during the streak, money. So Billy Bean is going to tell you coming up here at 4.30, right? At 4.30, there was a game that Corey Lytle pitched against the Athletics as a – they would have been the devil rays at the the time. And after that game, he was obsessed with him and getting him. You're going to hear that at at 4.30 when we talk about this. But, yes – you know, Corey was just dominant. And that's how you can go 16-1. and one. That's how you can win 20 in a row is as much as we talk mainly about offense, guys feeding off of each other, good and bad, right? Lineups get hot and cold together. So do staffs that all of a sudden everybody starts winning. Everybody actually pitches innings, which is something we don't see anymore. But, you know, if – if one guy goes eight and wins, I want to go eight or close it, and they start feeding off of each other, and that's really how streaks – I mean, it's how Cleveland broke the record. Right. They won 22 in a row in the same sort of situation where guys got hot and everybody's playing together. The interesting thing about this streak as you know, they lose a game on a Monday night to Toronto by one run, and Terrence Long hit a leadoff triple in the eighth, and the A's couldn't score him. And it just felt like we're back to the bad A's again. Because, again, a little bit of up and down with this 2002 season. But the next 11 games, the first 11 games of the streak, the A's never trailed at the end of an inning. That's how easy it was, right? They just, they were dominating. They never trailed. And finally, game 12 was the game in Detroit where they're down 7-2. to two. Uh, They pinch hit Greg Myers. He hits a home run leading off an inning, starts this rally. John Mabry again, huge hit. They come back and win. Uh, And then they go to Kansas City. And I'm sure Billy might have talked about this. They get to Kansas City, and now there's a threat of a strike. Yes. Right? There's going to be a strike. There's labor unrest. We don't know what's going to happen. So as the streak's going on, there's this whole other thing happening with the players, which is really overshadowing this A's winning streak because baseball might shut down by Friday. So they win Monday, they win, win Tuesday, they win the Wednesday night in Kansas City. Again, another great moment. The A's win their 15th in a row, set an Oakland record for consecutive wins, beating the uh, 14th straight by the 88 A's. We get in the clubhouse after the game. Everybody's excited. Eric Burns had caught the final out. Eric, where's the ball? Uh, I threw it into the stands. <laughs> Dude, we gotta, he goes, do you want me to go back and get it? 
what do you do? You're, who are you going to go back and get it from? But they had no idea if they were going to play on Friday. And that was the amazing thing. You won 15 in a row. You're in this, this pennant race, and you have no idea if you're playing on Friday. Thursday comes. It's an off day. Things get settled. Thank goodness they're playing Friday, and this place, the Coliseum's electric. Minnesota Twins are in town. Jock Jones for the Twins leads off with a home run. I'm like, uh-oh, Ray Durham in the bottom of the inning leads off with a home run, and it's on. And that's just, you know, it's such a great homestand with the, with the Twins, the Sunday game, uh, Mulder's dealing. It looks like he's going to have a complete game shutout. Gives up back-to-back home runs. They take him out. Billy Koch come in. Who's Billy Koch pitched every day. He gives up a home run to Michael Kadire, and the A's are trailing. Go to the bottom of the inning, Miguel Tejada, off Eddie Gardado, three-run homer, walk-off winner. Now we go to Labor Day. This is a Monday afternoon game. The A's look dead. Look, you know, sometimes a day game after a day game is harder than a day game after a night game. For whatever well, these reason. guys are these guys are not one to get up early in the morning. No, that's not their in spring training. Yes, but during the regular season, no, we're a night game. <laughs> we're night game. So day game after day game can be tough. And the A's are trailing five nothing to the Royals, and it looks like well, this is it. It's a good run. It's going to end at eighteen. And Renolvis Hernandez, the pitcher for the Royals, for whatever reason, buzzes Jermaine Die right at his head. Right at his head. Die jumps back. You can see the A's dugout. It's like something clicked. Everybody woke up, and it's on. The A's come roaring back. They win on walk-off fashion again. Miguel Tejada against Jason Grimsley. Remember that name. He's going to give up another big walk-off yeah. hit. <laughs> and the place is just nuts. So now you win. It's 19 in a row. And you have Tuesday off. Tuesday's an off day because the A's wanted to have a home game on Labor Day. So they have Tuesday off. We have to wait till Wednesday, Wednesday night, to come back to try for game 20 against the Royals. And, you know, that game's pretty famous. They made a movie about it. You know, Miguel Tejada, we're hoping, is going to be here this weekend. Um, that's kind of like, you know, when he's here, he's here. Yeah. But he hasn't been back. Well, he's been back as a, as a player. Came back as a Royal. Oriole. Yeah. I mean, he's come back, but, I mean, Miguel Tejada coming back is Miguel Tejada in Oakland A. This is a celebration of Miguel yeah, Tejada. Yeah, I mean, t- Miguel Tejada was a terrific Oakland A. Oh, he's I mean, fantastic. he's an MVP, for God's sakes. I think it's time, to get, it's, it's time for him to get his due. It is, and he deserves this. And he's, the numbers that he put up as shortstop, the, the, as coming up as a young player, making his debut in 97, you know, starting as a guy who batted eighth in the lineup, and it's him and Shabby right batting seventh and eighth, and they slowly move their way up in the lineup as people leave and they get better, and then they are just the dominant players. In 2002, Tejada was dominant. He was dominant offensively and defensively and in the clubhouse. He had a big personality, um, and he guys, they gravitated towards him. He was, you know, he's an interesting, he's a different cat. His English wasn't great, but he played with emotion. And I think the fans of Oakland really appreciated that. Well, and it was a situation where you kind of forgot about Giambi because you have a you have a different, you know. There's the there's the guy. Giambi was the guy. He was the man. Was, I'll never forget. It was the day game. I'm in the press box. The old left-handed reliever for the Yankees. Mike the, Stanton. Mike Stanton. He hits the home run off Stanton. I mean, Giambi was the guy. That was, no, it's the man because that's the Bill Kings. Jason that, Giambi that, uh, is the man. Because I was sitting in – I was sitting with Bruce McGowan and I. We're sitting there, and it was like, oh, my God. Wait, did Bruce stop talking at any point during that day? Do you know back when the <laughs> Giants came here in 19 um, – I love you, Bruce. We love Bruce, yes. So, 
Tahadabi took over that role. Yeah. Someone had to take over the role as the dude, and 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 it's time. And I, I, we think he's going to be here. When he's here, we'll know he's here. And it's time for him to get celebrated by his fans. Hundred percent. I mean, you know, Steve Schott in his new book that he wrote with yeah. with John Shea. They talk about the decision whether to sign Tahada, and they thought they they were going to embarrass him with an offer. And Steve Schott loved Miguel Tejada. Steve Schott's mom favorite player was Miguel Tejada I mean and truthfully there was so much love there and Steve Schott knew that he couldn't keep him he knew it and he didn't want to embarrass him with a low ball offer and unfortunately they you know they went with Eric Chavez and gave Eric Chavez a very nice contract uh, still the biggest money contract in A's history uh, 66 million but Chavi didn't stay healthy through it and Bad it didn't back. pay off right so and, you know, Tejada goes to Baltimore and has huge – drives in 150 runs in, in what, 2004. As the MVP wins a home run derby. Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But he needs to be honored for what he did with the A's because he was so good and, again, just a turning point, a turning point player as part of this franchise. Now I am going to test our A's historian. Uh-oh. This is a man that's done so much television, scorekeeping, whatever all the things you've done around the A's. All that stuff. Yeah. All right, he's done all this stuff. That's why he's our A's historian, of course. Pac-12 Network, he'll be A-State. And who's your first oh, game? We got Northern Arizona and Arizona State on Thursday. Hey, Herm, you play <laughs> to win the game. The great Roxy Bernstein on the call. I am going to test your knowledge all right. of the streak. What is the most played highlight that happened during the 20-game streak? What highlight was played more than any other? I would imagine it was Scott Hatterberg's walk-off home run. Not even close. Tejada's home run. Tejada's base hit. I have no idea then. I take you back to Cleveland. Jermaine Dye rips the ball over the left field wall. It bounces through because they have that gate-like. And the guy runs after it and face plants into the concrete. Ball keeps rolling. Guy tries to kick the ball, and it keeps rolling. And then the lady just picks it up down the street. That highlight is still played to this day. And if you remember back then... You're thinking maybe just locally. Back then, nationally, SportsCenter played it over and over and over. It was like the highlight of the year because we didn't have MLB Network. All of our highlights came from ESPN, and that highlight <laughs> still gets played to but this does, day. You know, our esteemed A's producer, Delaire Lewis, he loves that highlight. Now, he'll play it anytime Cleveland's in town. He'll play it anytime Jermaine dies. See what I'm saying? He, had it. he loves it. And it is, it's hilarious because the guy just biffs it, and then the woman just picks up the ball and is like, hey. It's great. And he hit hard. Yo. And yeah. I've always wondered, what happened to him? Yeah, I think a lot of dental work <laughs> is what happened to him because I don't want to see the aftermath. Oh, man. And, and, and uh, I don't think you've been – you haven't been in the truck for any of these replay – any of the highlights of these games, have you? A few of them, sure. Did, were you – when the, we recently replayed it, were you in the truck? I was actually in the booth with Dallas and Glenn, and, and Dallas really had not seen it. Oh, it's – and I just I, – I, I can't – you can't stop laughing. It is, it is funny. And, and, you know, hopefully 20 years later that guy's fine, new teeth and all. But it was – Ah, uh, it's so funny the first time you see it because it's just he, – he does. He goes down hard. He goes down like how the Raiders wanted the quarterback to go down. He must go down hard. 
Chase first oh into the country. Oh, my God. I feel so bad for him. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited about Sunday to see all these guys again. I mean, you talk about certain teams that you're attached to, and and that era A's, that was those were my guys. You know, I was I was fortunate enough to travel with them and get to know them as even a little bit off the field, and uh, you know, heartbreaking playoffs. But the regular seasons were unbelievable, and they were such a good good group of of, of people. We need to get that baseball signed by Art Howe. Yeah. We need to get that. We always appreciate the time. Uh, my pleasure, Tony. Great to be in the treehouse. We would like to thank former A and Rookie of the Year and Giants pitching coach Andrew Bailey, JPR and CBF from the Marlins, and David Feldman, our A's historian, for joining us on A's Cast Live. We now send it back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 